I had a dream of, of, of you know, I wanted to, even when I did uh, Nightwatch, I'd already uh, been accepted to a, a theater school in, in England. So I was, I was you know, I'd just finished four years of training in Denmark, then I was going to do this movie and then go to Bristol Vic, you know, where Daniel Day-Lewis had gone. It was very exciting. I went there for two weeks and then I ran away. Um, but I always wanted to, 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 to act and I wanted to, to travel the world if I could. Um, so that was the plan. Then I moved to London and then slowly but surely I started getting work. Back in May of 1987, did you almost not take that thing? Yeah, absolutely not. There was no way that I wasn't going to take it. Okay. No, 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 no. I, uh, I came out here and um, shortly thereafter um, I got what at the time was probably my biggest break, which was uh, playing the heavy in Karate Kid 3, and I, I got it uh, from an open call, standing in line with 1,500 other people, and John Avelson, who had won the Academy Award for Rocky, uh, picked me out of a line, and uh, I wound up being cast, and, and that really, you know, that really changed the, the trajectory of my career. I was doing my parents' dreams. I was, <laughs> I did finance, I worked, uh, uh, yeah, the banking world. And what happened? I blew it. I'll tell you what happened. I, no, I got laid off right around 9-11, uh -huh. and I already had used up all my vacation days. I knew that I was just a horrible investment banker. I just, I hated it. Why? And I knew it wasn't going to last. I don't know. I just wasn't, I, I, you know, I knew at that point in my life that I had to at least try something that I cared about. And that began the journey of me kind of like spending a year going and doing a lot of crazy stuff. And it eventually... After a while, I was in LA, I was bartending, I was thinking I'll go to law school, and I got asked to do an audition, and next thing you know, I was a full-time actor. Wow. It was crazy. I feel like, like you do actually kind of have to ignore your parents and your family when they discourage you from doing what you want to do. I well, did your parents, did they actually want you to do something besides comedy? Was there a specific thing that they, they wanted? My dad would just always say, like, you know, this in, in a very supportive way, you know, this might parlay nicely into advertising, this whole comedy thing. And I'd really? be like, no, no, this is it. This wow. is the plan. Like, this is going well. Wow. You know, like when I was making, like, I don't know, 500 bucks a week, driving my mom's station wagon around the country, opening for bigger comedians, like, I was like, Success, like in my mind, I was like, "That's I don't know how that much was that, the dream. What does yeah. that average out to a year? Is that that's like twenty six thousand dollars a year?" I was like, "Fine, great. Like if I can pay my rent, I'll do this for the rest of my life." I had this experience when my parents are the. I said I've said this before, and it makes them upset, but it's true. They're the only Jews in America who don't like public broadcasting, and they completely disapproved of me working in public radio in my twenties, and were constantly trying to get me to go to medical school, which they only stopped like after I was in my mid-30s. I feel like my parents wanted me to go to something like medical school, but not medical school, because then I could have the potential to hurt people. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I botch a surgery, or you know what I mean, because I'm so clumsy. Like they kind of knew, like, you should go to medical school. Maybe not medical school. Yeah. You know what I mean? Something <laughs> like medical school. Something stable and academic, but maybe well, not something where you're money. touching people's innards. Yeah. I just got out of high school trying to figure out what I want to do. And, uh, well, I kind of knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to act in some capacity. So I started really just Googling acting schools, acting stuff, anything that encompassed acting, trying to find a, a sort of channel in. And so I just Googled everything, and pages and pages of things popped up, and I just filled everything out. And then eventually, you know, people started answering. 
And a lot of those were scams and things that I would ultimately end up wasting my time on. And so I ended up going back and forth from uh, L.A. to Victorville, scrambling up change. And uh, One time it was a school for modeling and career, and career center, modeling career center. And so they had us get up on the runway, taught us to walk the runway, and taught us all the names of the brands, like Fendi, Gucci, Prada, all these th different things that would be of no use to me, really. But at the time, I realized every other week they had uh, agents come in for the people that wanted to aspire to get into acting. So I wanted to get in front of one of these agents. And when one of those agents came through, I said, oh, I want to go in. This is audition day. It was like every Thursday or something like that. And they said, well, do you have anything prepared? I said, yes. I didn't. I went in anyway, and I just did the first thing that came to my mind, which was basically just to jump up, up, up on the chair and be like, totally did it, man, and do some random stuff. And the guy saw something in me that he liked. What I don't know. And he signed me to his uh, commercial agency. From there, I began to do auditions and fail and learn what it meant to be uh, rejected, but be in the room and sort of build my comfortability over time. So it would prove to be a very important chapter, although at the time I just thought it was like I was wasting my time, but uh, it proved to be very important once I got out there and really started auditioning. I felt comfortable because I had been rejected and I'd been through all of it already, so there was nothing left to fear. So yeah, that was what came of the internet. Do you feel like you're living your calling? Yeah, I do, I definitely do. You know, back when I was younger, I thought my calling was to be a midwife and deliver babies, um, which has been a passion of mine since I was as, as long as I can remember. And that's what I really thought I was gonna do until I literally just got a job in acting. I never went to school or did anything. And once I started doing this, I was like, whoa, like this, I can't imagine myself doing anything else. So now I'm just gonna have my own babies and just continue to be an actress. <laughs> did you receive signs along the way? I mean, I know that's like out You know there, what, no, Natalie, I, I do believe in signs. And, and you know, looking back, I do kind of believe that I was put in certain situations and times where a lot of people aren't. Like I was hanging out with people in the industry, huge names, when I was like 17 years old. You know, I was put in places and, and things have happened in my life that allow me to be where I'm at right now. And I find all those to be signs. I definitely, that's the only reason why I'm here is because I followed those signs. And when opportunity knocked, I opened every single one of those doors. The first time I was robbed, I was robbed uh, I was doing a, um, I was in, re I was doing a play, on the east side of Detroit, which is crazy. It's much better now, but uh, the theater was on the east side of Detroit, and my car was out, of course. So I had to catch two buses to get home, and I was standing at the bus stop, uh, waiting for the bus, which, it's not like here or somewhere like a subway train running every two minutes. In Detroit, it's like. I told you it's like Mad Max in the Thunderdome. You got there, like, you know. So I was waiting for the bus, and I, it was kind of cold, and I was like this, you know. And and I felt somebody, and I kind of heard somebody coming from this side, and I kind of said, don't look over. I like, uh-oh, it stuck something in my side. And, and it wasn't a finger, because it felt like steel. He said, okay, uh, give me your money. I said, okay, all right, but I don't really have no money. He said, what are you talking about, you don't have no money? I said, I don't have any money. I got some little change and I got a bus ticket, that's all I got. He said, what you doing over here then? I said, I'm rehearsing a play, I'm an actor and I'm rehearsing a show. Now he engaged me that long. 
And he said, well, give me what you got. I think I had like 32 cents or something. He said, that all you got? I said, yeah. I said, don't shoot me. I said, I'm just trying to make it. Wow. And um, he said, all right, all right. So then he said, just don't, don't, uh, don't move. I said, I'm not, I'm not going to do nothing. And he started walking off and I kind of saw him and I said, don't you want the bus ticket? And he looked at me and I saw him and I looked right at him at that point. He says, no, fool, how you going to get home? Wow. And that was like, so really what I saw after that and I felt what that whole situation was, that was somebody that lived around there that probably has seen me before. Because people don't just randomly walk up to somebody. And the funny thing is, after that, I didn't tell anybody. Oh, I wasn't about to tell my mom and them. Oh, hell no. And I was going with a little girl at the time. I wasn't going to tell her. So I was like, no. I just didn't ever say nothing. But the first thing somebody would say is, you can't go back over there. I'm like, well, no, no. I'm, this is a good part in this show. Okay. And I knew I was hooked then. I'm like, I'm hooked. Nobody ever bothered me after that. Because this guy probably told all of them around there, he ain't got no money. He an actor over here at this place. <laughs> Leave him alone. Mm. Nobody ever bothered me. Mm. That really woke me up to like, wow, this is what I really want. I'm this dedicated. But it's like when my friends say, if they're going to shoot you, that was that kind of situation. Where it's like, okay, you either do this or you get shot. So I'm like, I'm not going to stop coming over here. Now, somebody else might rob me, and I hope they have a few more coins in my pocket. But I was broke. I mean, I was literally broke. So I was like, I had like 32 cents or something in the bus ticket. Because, you know, we had bus tickets. You get a strip of bus tickets, and, you know, you get a transfer when you get on the bus. And I had a, got the transfer with the bus ticket, and... And second time I got robbed was in a McDonald's. I was living, uh, I wasn't doing a show at the time, but I was living on the other side of town and my dad was sick in the hospital. And my mother, and I actually had my car at that point. And my mother was at the hospital all day. She said, well, you know what? Um, I, I just don't feel good, you know, being at the house by myself. Can you come over here and spend the night at the house? I said, oh, of course. I had my own apartment. I said, oh yeah. So she said, well, look, I've been at the hospital all day. I don't have no food. I haven't cooked. Maybe you ought to stop at McDonald's or something and get you something. I said, oh, okay. And I stopped at the McDonald's. I went through the drive-thru. It was kind of late at night. And I ordered my food. And the girl said, um, well, can you uh, pull over? Because, you know, we're cooking and bringing it out to you. I said, okay. So I'm sitting in the car, and it's cold. I'm running my gas. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. So I said, well... I'm going to go inside. So I came inside, and she looked. I said, I'm the guy you told to pull over. She said, oh, okay. So they said, we haven't even got it ready yet. So, so I'm standing at the counter, and it was like four of us, four guys at the counter, you know, getting our food. And the little boy in front of me, you know, the little McDonald's boy, he's like looking at me, and all of a sudden he looks over like this, and he starts doing this. And I'm looking at him like, what the look you got? I'm looking at him like, what? He said, and I look over, the guy got a sawed-off shotgun pointed right at my head. And he's telling me, raise your hands, motherfucker. And I, my hands up. 
And these guys proceeded to rob the McDonald's. And what he did was, it was two. One guy came in on the other side, the other door, the backup guy. And he uses me as a shield. And he's got the gun under my arm, like my arm's up, he puts the gun under here, and he's got the gun right in the face of that little boy. Oh, wow. And he says, empty the register. And the little boy, naturally, uh, he said, empty the register. So the manager, a female at this time, she's down here, and the guy with the salt off, he says, okay, empty all the registers. She empties all the registers except mine. And then he says, okay, open the safe. Mm. And she says, well, I can't, I don't have a combination, it's a drop box. She says, no, you can open the safe. She says, I can't open it. They come every night and get the money. The security come every night and get the money. I can't open it. He said, you lying. He says, get down on the ground, bitch. She gets down on the ground on the floor of the other place and he leans over the counter and he cocks the gun and he puts it on the side of his. He says, I'm gonna tell you, and I'm gonna ask you one last time, open the safe. So she's like this, and she's like, ah, oh, she starts crying. Please don't kill me. I can't open the safe. I got a baby at home. Please, it's just me and my baby. Please, please. And I'm like this, and I'm just looking, and I'm just like, oh, my God. And I got the guy behind me with the little boy like this, and I'm like this. And I'm like, oh. And I'm like this. And all of a sudden, the guy uncocks the gun. And the next thing on my mind is, thank God. They're professionals. Professionals don't want to shoot anybody. See, I found that out from being in Detroit around the hood. What? Professionals don't want to shoot anybody. They want to get in and get out. So he says, okay, we're finished getting the money. She jumps up. She gets the money. She gets down to my register, little boy. This McDonald's money. And... We said, give him the money, give him the money. We yelling and screaming, and they said, shut up. We didn't shut up. Give him the money, give him the money. It was just pandemonium. So this manager, she knocks him out the way, goes in his register and get the money and put it in one of the big McDonald's bags and hand it to the guy. So the first guy out of the place is the guy that had the pistol under my arm. The last guy out, he says, anybody trying anything, I'm gonna come back and kill everybody. He comes down the line of us. They didn't even rob us. He comes down the line of us and takes the, 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 the gun across all our backs, the small of my back. I had this gun go down the small of my back, and I'm telling you, my life flashed before my eyes. When people say, oh, my life flashed, I went from being a baby shitting in my pants, in my diaper, all the way up to the, it was just like that. I'm like, oh, and I'm like, oh, God, oh, oh. Oh, like this, and he left out. When he left out, they took off running. I looked, they took off running. All of the customers jumped over the counter and we was all behind the thing. By this time, the cops came in because they, they pushed the silent alarm. And I got to the house and my mother said, oh. She said, you didn't get your food? I'm like, no, I didn't get it. So she says, uh, what's wrong? I said, we got stuck up at McDonald's. My mother's like, oh, okay. My mother got mad at me when I said, I have to remember what that felt like because one day I'm gonna have to act and have to recreate that experience. My mother got mad at me. <laughs> that was the end of that story, but that's what happened. My mother said, what? You in that damn acting? And that's when I really finally realized this is it. This is where I'm supposed to be. 
That was the first experience of me getting robbed with the guy with the gun. Take my little 32 cent. The second one was that. And that's when I said, I'm in all the way. Because all I'm thinking about at one point during the robbery is like, I have, this, this is weird. I, got to, I have to remember this. I just did a thing on um, Shooter, the TV show Shooter, where I played a bank guard. And I get shot in the, in the episode. And they put a squid pack on me and everything. They lied to me. Oh, it's not going to hurt. It's going to be just a little teeny weeny pinch. They were lying their ass off. That squib hurt. And I get shot in the scene. And I fall over. But, I, but, but even though I'm like, and, and I, I'm belligerent to the guy. He says, all right, old man. Because it's flashback from the early 70s or whatever. And, and it's a flashback scene. So I said, well, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't lay down. He said, get on the ground. I said, yeah, my back, I got a bad hip and a bad back. I can't get down there. He said, I told you to get on the ground. I said, I can't do it. If I didn't lay down in Korea, I'm not laying down now. So he shoots me. But at that point, I'm recalling a lot of that experience of that. And we did one take, and the director says, that was so real. And we broke for lunch, and he says, that was, wow. I looked at it, that was, that was real. I said, yeah. I said, and I told him the story at McDonald's. He says, oh, wow. what? I said, yeah. <laughs> I said, I've been stuck up a couple of times, man. I've been shot at before, wow. all kinds of stuff. I felt like I had hit a level in Toronto that I was going to constantly be that waiter walking into a big movie saying, yo, salsa, uh, or these tiny roles that just didn't matter and I wanted to take a shot. So I left Toronto, moved to uh, Los Angeles, uh, stayed with my father, lives up in uh, Pasadena. And I lived, uh, I went from having a beautiful apartment down on the lakeshore in Toronto to sleeping in my little brother's room on a pull-out bed underneath his bed. And I would wake up with gerbils and puppies uh, piddling on me, which is awesome. Um, and first couple of jobs that I had, I think the first one was for the AF, AFM, no, AFI, American Film Institute. And it was this, I think it's called Corner of Gold. If you, if you look it up, I still have long hair back then. And like, yo. Um, and I shot this thing. I had almost no lines. And you got to remember, I had a fucking series. That was my second series in Toronto. I had done this for years. I made a living doing it. I made a lot of money doing it. Not crazy money, but I made like 100 grand a year back at like 25. That's a lot of money, dude. Had a nice car, nice place. I come out here. I'm eat, eating ramen, I'm starting over again, and uh, I do this thing, and I'll never forget this. This guy turns to me, after we finish shooting this whole thing, he goes, Zach, come here, I wanna to talk to you. I'm like, yo, yo? I didn't have the glasses back then, so the eyes were much bigger, and the hair was long, and I'm just a goober. And I'm like, yo, what's going on? He's like, you know, Zach, he was a sound guy, he's like, you know, Zach, um, I just wanna say I was watching you. You're really good. Really? Yeah, you're really good. You're really talented. I think you're going to go somewhere. Yeah, I have something for you. He reaches in his card. He, t he reaches in the wallet, takes out a card. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I've made it. I've made it. This is my shot. I knew it would work. I knew it would work out for me. You just got to believe. And he passes me a card. He's like, you called him. You tell him I gave him, uh, you tell him I gave him the card. Give him my name. I'm like, thank you so much. Shake his hand. I don't even look at it yet. I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much. He turns around and he walks away and I'm like, <laughs> and it's an extras casting company. 
And I had never done extra work in my life because I grew up doing it. And it kicked me in the balls so hard that I realized that I had to start again where no one gave a shit. And uh, I rode my motorcycle home. It was, that motorcycle was from 1978. I had to wear a garbage bag over my body, taped around my arms because I couldn't afford a, a rain suit. And I rode back to Pasadena and I thumbtacked that on the door. And every morning I got up, I looked at it, I just was like, fuck you, I'm gonna do better <laughs> every single day. And then an interesting sort of uh, audition story that I, I tell a lot. Um, again, this is something I, I learned uh, when the Fast and the Furious audition came my way. Again, the, where I was at in my time at that time in my life, I didn't realize what I had. I was off in my own sort of thinking about what I, I, I thought about the business. I got the audition, and it was called Redline, actually, at the time. And I, I remember passing on the audition, and uh, why? Because I just didn't want to, I, I, I had in my mind, I wanted to do something completely different with my life at the time. Again, maybe 23 years old, you know? So I got the audition, I passed. Got the audition twice, I passed, right? My agent at the time calls me up and says, what are you doing? Like, you really want to pass on this? And I said, yeah. I mean, I was just being a little punk. She's like, fine. Hung up the phone on me. I'm like, yeah, right. I'm, I'm making these decisions. <laughs> Another agent from the same agency called me up and he said, Chad, you know, come on, go in, go in, just go in. I'm like, okay, I'll go in. I was being a brat. I was being a, a brat. And I went and I auditioned and I, I met the director, Rob Cohen. He's very friendly and, and so nice. And uh, the casting director, who, who I love. And, and uh, so I auditioned and, and they liked what I did. And then they called me back or they want me to come back and read with a couple of the other actors. And so I'm like, all right. And then you start to like sort of play it in your mind. You're like, oh, oh, you like me? Okay, <laughs> you know. All right, yeah, yeah, I'll go back in. Yeah, sure. So I go in and I read with, um, well, I think it was Matt Schultz at the time and, uh, and Johnny Strong, I believe. And they were trying to fit like the guys, that, you know, because they already had, you know, uh, Paul and Vin and everybody. And um, I ended up booking this movie. I got the part and, and I'm like, wow, this is really cool. And we're going to do all these cars. And then we got on set and it became, you know, this crazy thing. And everyone's going to be like, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be huge. It's going to be this big movie. And I'm like, no, I just don't, I don't, I don't think so, guys. <laughs> I was just so locked into this, into this brain of mine. And then uh, lo and behold, it became like, a huge phenomenon. It changed my life instantly, and it taught me again that you never, never, never know. Uh, don't, don't turn down an audition. Don't, don't be silly, you know. And I was really silly, and I tell this story, and not that I, I, I am so appreciative that I went in and I, and I was given that opportunity, and uh, it changed my life forever, forever. So um, I learned a, a valuable lesson then, you know, just. You know, keep your mind open, 
you know? Appreciate what you have if it comes when you're 19, if it comes when you're 40. Just appreciate that moment. This year I was in one of the hottest movies of the year, Straight Outta Compton. Uh, it was the number one movie for three weeks in a row. I played Warren G, I had a nice little cameo in the film. And I booked that last year, 2014. And I haven't booked anything since. I've been going out on different auditions. My manager's been sending me out, my agent's been sending me out. And all of a sudden, four days ago, I get a call saying, can you be on set for a pilot? So I just don't think I'm the audition type of guy, <laughs> you know? I think I should just get those calls every now and then, like, can you be on set and make it happen? That, that was a crazy story too. So I auditioned, I got the audition. Then I got the call back like four weeks ago. Then I didn't hear anything at all for Strata Compton. So next thing you know, I find out they're shooting. And my girlfriend, she's also an actress. She went on the set for just an extra. She didn't even know it was Strata Compton until she got there. Then she was like, oh my God, Strata Compton, they're shooting. And I, I was just thinking like, oh man, I didn't get the damn role. But then um, I'm like, how long are you going to be on set? She's like, two days. I was like, I got to sneak on with you the next day. So that Friday, the next day, I snuck on set with her. I hopped in the van with the original members, played it off like I was somebody. And next thing you know, I was on set, and I ran into my first ever acting coach, Dustin Felder. And he was like, man, Sheldon, you look good. I was like, yeah, I auditioned for Warren G. Have they cast him? And he was like, nah, not at all. I'm just like, man. I was like, man, I could play the role. He was like, man, you look good. So that night, uh, he told my girl that I was probably going to have the role. Yeah. Then um, the next day I got a call from my manager saying, Sheldon, you booked the role? I had to be on set the next day at 4.45 in the morning. So these things just keep happening to me. Yeah, I was a masseuse uh, when I get the call uh, from the casting director. I used to work with like 10 years ago. And she said to me over the phone, are you still an actor? I said, nope. Uh, do you want to try an audition for me? Do you want to have an audition for me? I said, no, not at all. I'm not an actor, so why? And she said, okay, listen, the script is really interesting. It's about AIDS in the 19s in Paris, gay community, um, the political aspect and everything. And I said, for a movie like that, why not give a try? Yeah. And get maybe eventually get back to the business. I was an actor doing films in Paris for about five or six years. And um, it didn't went exactly the way I was expecting, um, waiting for calls, having parts, but very small one, uh, getting audition, but at the very end, no, it's not you, you're the second, you're the third. And before being really angry or depressed or, or anything like that, Say, so, okay, you're 25, 26, you can do something out of your life, you can realize yourself in another way. Let's find out what, but let's do it. So I did several jobs in Paris and then I went to Thailand, uh, Thailand and uh, to Bangkok first. And uh, I learned Thai massage there. At the beginning, just not to have fun, but to have an experience. And it became serious and I liked it. And uh, after two months of uh, training sessions, uh, I went back to Paris with my diploma. And uh, one month after, I got the call from the casting director. Fascinating. That's great. When you decide to do something else, you know, the past comes and just grabs you. You have to like, I think sometimes when you want too much something, you're not attractive. Yeah, you so you have to see around what can in what can fill you with something else. 
before I started acting, I had a, I was a very successful executive, right? I had six-figure salary, made a, lived a very comfortable lifestyle, traveled everywhere, first class, I've been all around the world. I mean, I, I, I had the greatest job. And so, but then I got bit by this acting bug and I, and I, and I go to my mom and I tell her, um, listen, I'm thinking about quitting my job. <laughs> I think I'm quitting my job and moving to Los Angeles and, uh, and becoming an actor. And um, fully expecting her to say, have you lost your effing mind? You got a great life. No, no one does that. And my mom, you know, she was in the, um, she was in the hospital at the time. And uh, she says to me, um, she listens and she says, go there. You know, she says, when you get older, you'll wish you took more chances and not less. And um, she said, so if you're gonna go, go to LA and make me proud. And um, I left out of there like bawling because I'm, I'm, I'm living on the East Coast and I know that moving to LA, I'm not gonna see my mom that much anymore, right? Because of the distance. And uh, I remember I'm on the plane and, and I'm flying, to, you know, flying out here to move out here to Los Angeles and I'm just fucking bawling. The whole, I'm just, I'm, I'm a mess. And I remember the lady sitting next to me thinking, what the fuck is going on with this guy? Because <laughs> literally six hours, I mean, I'm just, I'm a mess. And, um, and subsequently, you know, not too long after moving out here, my, they, they found out my mom had like stage four cancer and, uh, and she died. So um, whenever I think about, you know, this business is too hard or I want to quit or, you know, maybe I should give it up. Um, I think about my mom's words to me. And uh, I also think I, I missed out on so much because I was here and there was so many times where I didn't get to see her. And my mom and I were like this. I mean, I did everything with her. So there was so many times I didn't get to see her because I came out here to do this. Then I'm gonna give this fucking everything I have. So. Wow, okay, sorry. Wow, that was beautiful. Thank you. One of my early jobs was um, on Fantasy Island. And uh, I was uh, among a retinue of young women, you know, uh, that were surrounding this older man who was uh, the, the star, the guest star of the show. And um, so we broke for lunch and one of the other women, I, I had lines, this other woman didn't have lines. but. Uh, she, we, we were walking to lunch and she was a, a goddess. I mean, she was so beautiful and very sweet and really lovely. And we were just talking and I liked her right away. And then she started to tell me about her husband. And immediately I got this overwhelming sense of dread on her behalf. I mean, I have chills now even remembering it. And um, he had She'd been working at a Dairy Queen in Canada or something, and, and he'd, he was older than she, and he spotted her, and he saw what she was, and he got her into Playboy, and she had a, a, a you know, Playboy centerfold spot. And, and um, she, the more she talked about him, the creepier I felt about this guy. But, you know, we, we just met each other. What am I going to say about her husband? You know, you better watch out for him. And, and then I learned that she was with my agency, and then about a week or a month later, two months later maybe, I'm walking with my agent to an audition and he tells me that this woman just got a part in a major motion picture. Now I have been a, a classically trained actress since I was two years old. 
and she had just blown into town. Now, she was a goddess, I have to give you that, and Hollywood, you know, eats that up. But I was so jealous. I couldn't believe it. I was so, just churning with envy inside and resentment and, and it would, oh, it felt like it was awful. And about two months after that, I was going to um, New York. I had a play that I was taking to New York that I wanted to shop around a bit. And I'm walking home and I see um, a headline, you know, beauty queen slain. And I thought, oh, it was some, you know, Miss New Jersey or something. I didn't pay any attention. I called my agents to find out what was going on, if I should come home early. And they said, oh, we're just so worried. We're just so upset about Dorothy. And I put on my oh, best, my best, I tried my best to care. And I went, oh, really? Why? And she said, didn't you hear? Her husband just shot her in the face and murdered her because she was drifting away from him. And it was Dorothy Stratton who was the subject of the film Star 80. And even now, you see, that the, I was so oh my ashamed gosh. of myself for begrudging her one moment of celebrity or joy because I had no idea right. what lay before her and I had no idea what she went through to get that, to get there, to, to her moment in the sun. Yeah. And how dare I, how dare I? And that was, I, I was more affected by what, what, by her death and what it called up in me than I was when my own grandfather died because I was so ashamed of my jealousy. And the roles come to you as Sadie now, at, at this time in your life. Why do you think now was the best opportunity for you to act? Had you wanted to, to be <laughs> in front of the camera? Why, why now? The whole thing to me was, was and is, when Shi Ching came to me and said, um, you know, you'd be really good for a part in a picture that, that we're filming. I really think we could, my inner voice was going, what? I mean, doesn't she realize that I'm an old lady? I mean, what is, what is with her? All this is inside, but she insists on the picture, and I'm like, she's got to be hidden. This is a joke. And then she said, oh, well, they like you. Could, could we have your phone number? And I'm thinking, wait a minute. The joke's getting bigger, and maybe it's, could it be real? So it was a surprise, real big, huge surprise. Could I do it again? I don't know. I had such a good time with her, I don't know if I could do it. Mm. And I think Sean was brilliant in getting what he wanted from the characters. Absolutely. And I think he did a fascinating job in bringing that out. Because I saw in myself, I don't think I could have done it, but but he, uh, when I'm looking for her dog, I'm, I'm crying because it's real. And that, that scene was for me, um, I could do it this minute because all I thought about was um, the pictures on TV of animals that are, are uh, <laughs> And that's what 
made me feel the loss of the dog and the pain. So when she comes to get him, I'm so pissed at looking for him all day. <laughs> I'm an old bitch again. <laughs> Sam Jackson, I was dying to get his respect. Um, probably, you know, I mean, he's definitely a, a great mentor, you know, only second to my grandfather, you know. Um, but th this man knows everybody's lines. He knows everybody's lines. He knows where the camera moved, on what line, and where he did what, and he knows everything. It's really amazing. So, I, um, in rehearsals, <clears throat> in rehearsals, Samuel, uh, I know he was teaching me a lesson. We've had this conversation before, so. <laughs> He's got these giant monologues at the end of the film that are actually much bigger than what even ended up in the film. And in rehearsals, he, Kevin Reynolds like, hey, hey you, ready to, you guys ready to, to do this scene? I'm like, yeah, man, let's, let's do it. And Sam looks up and he's like, yeah, man. And he throws the scenes on the floor. Sam threw them because he doesn't need them. <laughs> He's got the big speeches anyway. So I'm like holding my gun and then he just like looks up at me, got tears. He can control this side and this side too, by the way. He can make this cry right now. He can make this cry. He can hold them. I can't do that, but he can. <laughs> um, so when I saw him holding the tears and he literally just put the pedal to the metal and I thought, oh my God, I, I don't know if I can ever be that good. So I, I just remember uh, just racing home, racing home and just delving as deeply as I could just to get any ounce of respect from him. Yeah, he, he's a tough love kind of guy. So you gotta really, really, really earn it. But I remember one scene where I thought, okay, I now accept the destiny of me also being a director. Um, it was on a hijacking. Mm -hmm. We were um, in the office of the ship. Pilu had a gun stuck to his back head. And it was just a test. We didn't, even, we didn't even want to shoot it, it was just a camera test, how can we cover this? But I could detect that Pilu was there. We had spent now a month on the ship, sailing in the Indian Ocean, surrounded by pirates, so it was real. And mm. suddenly, I could see Pilu's here, let's just go. So I whispered to everybody, let's shoot this. And it ended up with you calling your wife live back in Denmark on the satellite phone, us tapping that line and doing the yeah. whole thing. And it's not in the script but you just went crazy and attacked the pirate. Mm. And in doing that, you hit your head, but I couldn't see that. So I just said, keep rolling. <laughs> and Pilou was on the floor, you know, crying. And I thought, he's so fucking great. Wow, this is not acting, this is real. <laughs> and then suddenly I could see blood on the floor. I was like, uh-oh, we don't have special effects on today, what the fuck is going on, you know? And I realized that the whole thing from him attacking the pirate and on was real. Yeah. He bumped his head and he was split open. Yeah. And there was so much blood all over the place. But I didn't stop it because, you know, I thought, oh, he's so present. <laughs> and after that, I was like, okay, I have to take control of being a director. I cannot risk the security of people. Let's go. Let's, let's, be, let's be professional about this. <laughs> yeah. That was cool. That was a cool scene. It was an amazing scene. Yeah. And it became the midpoint of that film. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I think that the biggest satisfaction that I have is when each, each scene has what the scene is about, but then there's this little nuance that has to do with what the character is really going through. And it usually has to do with his 
this motivation that he has that no one else knows. He's trying to get close to someone. He's trying to introduce someone to someone. It's not the obvious thing. And seeing, Norm, seeing Richard grab on to that small nuance and bring it to life and express it in some way was incredibly satisfying to me because it's as if he was revealing this secret about what really goes through Norman's head. I remember him directing me. I'm flashing on one of the early scenes. It's actually the first scene that's in the movie. And I'm, uh, I'm approaching Dan Stevens in the park. And I got a deal that I'm trying to convince him. But I remember we were doing the shot as, we, as he moves away, because he basically doesn't. No one wants anything to do with this Norman or any Norman. It's, it's how do you make them stop without using, losing your own dignity in making them stop? Yeah. And you see that a lot with characters in this movie who just, they don't want to have to say, go away, leave me alone. It's, it's some level of, please, enough. So I'm chasing, I'm chasing, and we're doing a, a, a steady cam shot. And he's saying, I remember this direction was, you know, maybe you could just kind of bob behind him and try to get his attention. Well, you're coming behind, and it, it was so, I mean, I got it immediately, what you were talking about. And that ended up informing much of what I did in the film, this sense right. of... Peeking, peeking over someone's <laughs> shoulder and just waving, I'm still here, is... is Hi. Seeing Richard Gere do that is incredibly satisfying. And I got a call from my agents when I landed in Houston and said they wanted to reroute me to uh, New Orleans, that I'd been offered this role in the Dallas Buyers Club, but I needed to be there the next day. And I said, Mitchell, he said, he said in the first place, and he never does this, he said, say yes. And I said, do me a favor, I'll read the script on the next leg from Houston to Birmingham, and I'll call you when I land, but I gotta get home, I gotta see my kids. And he said, okay, but they're gonna turn you right around and you're gonna go back to New Orleans. Uh, and, he, and the last thing he said was, say yes. So, because he knew the, he knew the project. And um, I, when I got there, uh, because I was drawn in a little bit late, um, a lot was, there were a lot of moving parts. And there's this wonderful, uh, crazy French-Canadian director, Jean-Marc Vallée. I adored working with him. I, I'll be forever grateful for the, for the notes that he gave me because he, he gave my character dimension that I might have missed. I was stepping in quickly to something. And, but when I walked into the, into the hospital room the first time to work with Matthew, I was like, when's he coming in? Uh, you know. And he's, of course, he's more than ready. He's standing over there, but he had lost so much weight that he was unrecognizable to me. So, so we, when we started the scene, I'm still waiting for McConaughey to come in, and he's there. And uh, it, it, you know, it's one of those things that kind of throw you in the moment when you finally realize, uh-oh, we're going, and you better catch up. So it, it actually helped me because we were, we were in the, in the throws of it before I had an opportunity to get nervous about it. So I was doing a movie called Push years ago and Chaz Palminteri was uh, in the movie and in the movie he kind of plays like my father figure. And we all know Chaz Palminteri is a great actor, tall, intimidating man, very, very generous, very nice. So in this scene, I am supposed to come in and tell him that I lost all this money and I need help and I need, I need, I need him to bail me out of this life or death situation. 
So I kept coming into the scene. I'm supposed to be crying and this. And I wasn't bringing it, period. I was stinking up the room. And I couldn't get there. And so, all right, maybe, you know, take five or whatever. I come in and I'm like, oh, da, da, da. And he goes, what'd you say? He grabs me, pulls me to him and goes, slaps me across the face. Wham! Like this. The whole set, you can hear a pin drop. And I was like, ah. <laughs> and I started crying. He goes, what'd you say? He goes, come here. And he grabs me again, slaps me again. And man's got hands, you know, wham. And I'm like, oh my God. And then I started to cry and started to get into it. And before you know it, I'm like, ah, da, da, da. And, I, and then cut, director yells, cut. He's like, that's amazing. Thank you so much. And I go outside and I bawl. I cried and I cried and I cried because I just got my ass handed to me by a football player in this business, right? And I went inside and Chaz, he, he, he grabbed me and he pulled me in and he gave me a big, huge hug. And he goes, don't take it personally, kid. He goes, De Niro slapped me. And if you go back and you watch, I think it was um, a Bronx tale. And in a scene, they're slapping each other or, or De Niro slaps them or something like that. And they would keep doing that back and forth until they actually got into the scene. So I felt it was a huge honor that he trusted me enough to slap me. <laughs> and then he told the, the story on Conan because uh, Conan was like, do actors get intimidated of you? And he was like, yeah. And he started to tell the story about how he slapped me. And, um, but we got there. So he was sensitive to me. And, and, and he was also being very generous in, in helping me. It wasn't about him. And I think that's something that we need to do as actors is 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 be generous to the other actor because if if you, we both need to look good <laughs> you know it's not all about me and my coverage and this and that no like we need to be generous to the other actor we need to stand there and while they're doing their coverage and give them their lines because it's 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 the right thing to do do the work do the work do the work um I'm, i i and, it, and it's funny because you go into certain projects you know, with Annette Harris, like on Westworld, and in, in this film as well. Um, but I already won Ed's respect in this film, and in <laughs> Westworld I had not. So, you know, I called a few friends that had worked with him just to find out a little uh, background on him. And then um, I just studied really hard. I studied really hard to learn my lines. I studied hard to learn his lines, just in case he was like, what's my line? Wow. And I had to be able to like, I think, I think you say, -da -ba -da 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 -da. <laughs> maybe. Just as, I don't know how, you never know how someone's gonna take it. Like, he's got to navigate. Sure. So I'm navigating. And, um, and he goes, oh, thanks, partner. All right. So I did that, and then I slammed the scene where my daughter, my wife, gets killed. And then he came running over to me and just pointing at me and filthing and frothing. And just like, yes, yes, yes. And he freaking kicks me in my shin, like, real hard. And he goes, that's how you do it. And then when he walked away, I was like, well, I hope that's going to leave a mark. That's what Ed Harris did to me because he did a good job. <laughs> it's pretty rad. It's cool. It's pretty awesome. So that's how I got his respect. When it comes to playing, I really uh, e equate um, live music with live theater and filmmaking with being in the studio because, you know, it's a controlled, you know, even in a case like um, Cop Car, which was, you know, a lot of things having to do with elements and a, and a really pared down crew and, and kids and, you know, 
kids driving cars and guns and all that kind of stuff, um, you, you, you still have take two, and it is a relatively controlled kind of situation. And that's what the music studio is like. You know, you can do another pass on a vocal. You know, you can, you know, put an overdub something on. It's, it's kind of like the same editing process. Sure, and the tour bus experience. Tour bus experience is um, <laughs> tour bus experience is sort of unlike anything that I've done in the films uh, because I don't tend to share a dressing room with nine other smelly guys <laughs> for a month at a time. Generally, even if my dressing room is small, I'm still not sharing it with nine guys and sleeping in a bunk and you know all all that comes with that. The thing is, like, there are uh, people who are doing all of these things kind of for you. Like, we wrote a script, right. and then our producers, I imagine, got that in the hands of either your daughter or your repre your representation. Probably my daughter. And then you had the chance to read. She it. runs everything. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> we were fortunate in that one of our producers is friends with Chelsea. So is that right? Right? That is correct. I don't know. She's over here. Oh, okay. Oh, great choice. <laughs> yeah, awesome choice. But we can still do the role play. Okay, let's do it. Let's uh, do it. I mean... Here, here's, here's what it would have been like. Um, hey, uh, hey, Billy over at Lonely Island, uh, can you get this, or, or Will over at Lord & Miller, can you get this script over to Chelsea Hamill to potentially get it to Mark Hamill? <laughs> we'll do our best. Okay, thank you. <laughs> And I imagine you get a phone call or an email. Send me a deal memo. I don't care about the script. I just want to know how much I can make. Do I get any back end? I only care no, no. the money. It's, believe me, at this point in my career, the script is everything. Well, you know, honestly, like, that's something that I was the most nervous about. Um, when I read the script and, and then we, Adam and I spoke, he said, you know, we're going to wear these prosthetics. I actually was not nervous about, the, to, I mean, obviously I was on some level to wear this prosthetic, right. but the applying of the prosthetic was where my mind went to first, like what are the steps that go into that? Um, because I don't want to make anyone feel um, like they regret their life. Yeah. And, um, and uh, it's just, you know, and I had my wife like talk to me before, like what do I do, how do I, anything I should do? Like, you know, they, it's, it's, there's a lot of glue um, and so you just got to make sure that it's, um, yeah, it's a wonderful, it was a wonderful time. Sure, very delicately It was applied. a strange time. Yeah, right. It was a strange time in my life. And then as we were getting closer to shooting, we got, uh, luckily got Jason to agree to do it. Mm -hmm. I was so, I couldn't believe that I got this opportunity. Well, oh, we were so lucky to get I had a this th guy. I had a thing where I was like, literally like, this is, to, there's there's got to be some catch that they're they're miss seeing some. I was so excited I couldn't believe the how catch funny was it. you would have to be naked with the prosthetic. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I guess when you put it that way. Catch. First of all, um, I was uh, broke. I I had no 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 money, no driver's license. I was uh, living in Mid Wilshire. I was in a very bad spot. Uh, I had been acting now about five or s five years at this point, five or six years. Um, I had not had any auditions for film yet. I had only gone to do things in like the theater, things through the drama log, backstage West and whatnot. Subsequently, my friend, my very best friend in the world at that time, uh, was an actor who's become rather you know prominently known. His, his name is uh, Thomas Jane. 
Uh, we were very, very close. He uh, auditioned. Uh, wait, I got into the audition now. Is that, is that, uh, is it okay now? Okay, all right. He, again, this is a little bit uh, new for me. So, yeah. No, so he, 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 he told me, you know, I, I met this, uh, I auditioned for this movie about an, uh, an angry skinhead or whatever, and there was this British director, and he was very eccentric, and he was in the room, and he didn't seem to respond to my audition. He was referring to uh, the, the, you know, the director, uh, Tony Kay, who directed American History X. He said, I think this director would like you. I don't know why, he just he got that sense that somehow... Tony Kay was going to connect with me somehow or respond to me, I guess, or my, my, my acting or whatever. Yeah, anyway. So that's what life was like then. It was, okay, to answer your question in short, life was very difficult. Uh, broke, no car, no driver's license, no job, and trying to get auditions. It was, it was pretty tough, yeah. So you take Tom's advice, you walk in that door for the audition? No, what happened is, is Tom said, hey, there, this, this, He's in trying to figure out, at that time they had not confirmed that Edward Norton was you know, playing the lead part in the movie. And he was doing these cattle calls if that, I guess apparently if that did not happen or what direction they were going with the lead role, I don't know what, they had not figured that out yet apparently. So he said they're gonna do a cattle call. They're gonna be doing these cattle calls between New York and Los Angeles and he was doing one there and then doing one here and it was on this day and I got the information. And um, he told me where it was gonna be and he said, you know, I happen to have the script because, you know, I auditioned. And I said, well, and he said, I'll drop it off at your house. So I, the following morning, he came in the middle of the night, I was sleeping, I lived on the first floor he put it in between my window and left it on my TV, the top of my TV set. And I woke up in the morning and I, I went and I started making my coffee or whatever. And I look and there is a script on the, uh, the, the top of my television set. And it was just a weird moment where I went, I didn't know what that was and why it was there. It was some kind of like Lord of the Rings moment or something really weird. Like I'm really like, it was surreal because where I was in my life at that time and what that script wound up meaning for the totality of my life was insurmountable. I mean, because essentially what ended up transpiring from reading that story to the audition to then the relationship that I had with Tony Kay for five, well, for many years, no, for multiple years working and since then just keeping in touch here and there. But our, we have had a relationship that has gone for years as a result of that. I just covered a lot of ground there really fast. Okay. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm loving it. I, I'm okay. picturing this, this yes. scene in this apartment. Do you want me to keep going with that? Please, yeah. I want to know, yeah, how, how it all went down. I actually, you know, I had said earlier I did not have a job at the time. I actually had a job answering phones. Uh, that was like, I got a job way out in like Santa Monica somewhere where I had to get up and take the bus at five o'clock in the morning for minimum wage to answer the phone for this uh, uh, Farsi-speaking computer company. And I was the only American speaking, but they were wonderful people and they were very religious and they were, they were amazing uh, people. And this was, a, you know, you have to understand, being 20, 24 at the time with no money, absolutely broke. Uh, I, you know, every dollar I made at this, this silly little job was going 
to every amount of living expense I had, so there was no spare. It was just a difficult time needing friends to help me out and whatnot. So when this audition came up, I thought this is unbelievable because, for, so first of all, let me get back to the story though for a second of reading that script. My, I had had a very uh, long, difficult, complicated you know, childhood in and out of the juvenile hall systems and all this kind of stuff. My brother's name is Daniel, Danny. The, when I opened the script, and I had gone through a very similar cathartic emotional experience in my life, dramatic in nature, very much similar to the dramatic nature of the spiritual shift in the character in the story. So when I read the script, it was overwhelming the emotion that came over me that was not only what was going on in my life personally at the time, but also the fact that my brother and I mended a lot of stuff after I became a, moved here and found a new way to live, right? So it was, a, it was a powerful experience. So I could not wait for the opportunity to express whatever you know, these feelings were at this audition. So I had no idea what the audition was going to be. So I asked the Iranian, the, the Iranian family that ran the company if they would allow me to leave work because I explained to them, you know, and I sat and I talked to the man. He's a very religious man, so you can imagine this was a, a like, you know, with a very long, you know, with the beard and the whole thing. And I went into his office and said, sir, you know, if I could go out, do this thing, it's, I'm an actor, I've been trying to do this. He got the woman that worked there to give me a ride. He permitted me and drove me there. When I get there, there's a line going, it's a, it's a building on Wilshire Boulevard near San Vicente in that area, uh, over there where there's a pavilions right nearby. And it was, on the th it was, I believe, on the third floor. There's a line going out the door and everyone is getting a number. And when you walk into the building, you're greeted by the casting director that says, okay, listen, this is directors, you know, he's a little bit, you know, uh, does things a little differently. He's got a camera set up up there. He's gonna, you're gonna, when your number's called, you're gonna walk in front of the camera and you're going to, um, you're gonna do whatever, you know, whatever you do. You know, whatever, I guess whatever you're, you know, gonna show Tony or whatever. So now I knew this was gonna be improvisational in nature and I had already read the script. So I knew one key pivotal point in the story that is that there was this scene that the lead character does uh, to the news cameras when he discovers that his father's been killed. His father was a firefighter and his father died. So the media is reporting him and he has this huge emotional outburst. And he's, you know, he's, and he's right into the camera and he's pointing into the camera. And I knew that was in the material. So what was happening inside of the audition room was Tony was calling people up and he would say, how do you feel about white power? Go. And the actor would start talking, you know, I this, that, the other, and cut. Next. And it was going literally like a firing squad, like that one. And of course, you can imagine sitting there, aware that you're about to go up there. There's The room is full. Everybody's watching everybody's audition. So you can understand there's a hundred people in the room, and everybody's watching you get just wiped out. And I said, you know, I was, had everything, nothing to lose. I figured, you know, anyway, he called me up. I looked at him. I saw him when he walked in the room and I thought, 
that's about what I thought a director looked like. Real tall, scary, bald, and intimidating presence. Very interesting. This man walked into the room and I thought, that's, that's a director. I go up and, you know, I came from a school and a man that taught acting that was very, very, very intense. And he, you know, he pushed it to the limit and it was about risk and you put it all and sort of leave it all on the field, so to speak, right? And the idea was that you have to commit all the way, all the way, no, no hesitation, make your choice and you go, launch, no fear, you face whatever fear is there and you spring anyway and take it all the way as far as you can within your choices. So when it was my turn to be called up, I thought, I don't know what's about to happen here, but my heart was pounding very, very fast. And I don't know what question he was going to ask me. Uh, I had had an experience the day prior where I was sitting on the bus and uh, a young, uh, a young uh, a mother and her son were, he was like two and a half. And she was, I would say, abusing him, hitting him, and I had witnessed the whole thing and he fell and he was crying and he was in need and she wasn't really helping him and then the bus came up and I was about to say something and I didn't and I wanted to say, and I had all of these feelings about that, right? So I plugged into that, that feeling from that experience and I said, I'm going to vent the anger, rage, whatever, if, if need be, I'll use that in this in this audition so tony walks up and he doesn't look at me he gets behind the camera and he 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 he, he he's looking at changing the film thing or something and my heart was beating and i was so nervous and i i couldn't and i i just looked at him and i and i said uh how you doing man and he i go and and he looks up and he goes fine or whatever and he kind of looks down and i go because I, I, I was at this point kind of my nerves were overwhelming me so I just said and I don't know what this just kind of flew out of my mouth I just in a real intense sort of way I, I said um, do you have something that you need to ask me you got and I knew that got his sort of attention there because he, he looked up from the camera with a real intense look on his face and he got real excited and he goes how do you feel about white power and got all excited and then i i just i guess i used all that and i just you know i did the audition or whatever and i just went for it and just uh i guess i guess it went very well because uh, you know i mean it subsequently everything that happened after that uh, changed my life because i went on to work with him from that point forward i was cast in the movie well, I should tell you the whole story, right? The whole, the whole, the whole progression of it, right? So I'm assuming you booked the role right there, Alex? No, okay, no, no, no. What happened was he was very, you know, I got very intense. The audition was going very well in the sense that I connected that, that emotion to that anger I had to that mother. And the rage, having my own issues with some of that stuff as a child and putting that all in that moment. 
Um, I just used that to talk to and imagine that I was talking to the media reporter that was asking me about the dead father in the script. So I took the opportunity to make Tony talking to me being a news reporter as if I'm doing now the audition here into the camera because I was he, talking to the cameraman that my father and, and I was just using that sort of to express the rage that this movement of neo-Nazism or whatever is coming and we're justified and all this ignorance that I was, you know, having to portray. Uh, and that's how I did that. And then um, when he just kept filming it and it didn't stop, I, I just had to keep going. I didn't even, I, I, at some point I was, I was like, is he, when is this going to stop? Is I have to keep, you know, generating this uh, improvisation. So it was just like, I, and then he just, and I said, he, he stumbled because he was holding the tripod. And then they're getting, a, you know, he said, no, no, keep going, get in the light, get in the light. Because I stopped, I said, do you need me to say, no, 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 get in the light, get in the light. And I just kept going and going. And then he said, great, I got it. And I said, great. And I walked away and he said, hey, I, he said, thank you. And that was, I looked at him and I said, you're welcome. And I floated out of there. And I, I did, at that point, I didn't care that I had gotten the, the part uh, or not. I, I knew I did something. Do you, do, you, do you understand what I'm saying? You affected it, him? Yeah, no, I know. I knew I did something of which I could be proud. And that is vitally important, especially having ongoing understanding of how to be an actor in this business. You have to understand the difference between obtaining the success, whether you book the part and what you actually can be proud of what you did in the room are actually two different things. The results will come out of, for many circumstances that are way out of our hands, but that one thing that you can do, which is a performance to be proud of or an audition to be proud of, I felt that happened. And it was a pretty neat feeling. Did you take the bus back to work or did the people come? No, I took the bus back home, uh, just really floating. I didn't even get on the bus right away. I walked to the pavilions and I just sat down because you have to understand at this point life was beating me, right? I mean, I, I, I lived in this cubicle, tiny 300 square foot apartment. Um, I was just got a hold of that little job. I was just, I, I, it was just life was very, very challenging at this particular point. You have all of the insecurities. You know, my friends had started to work, which I was very happy about. But you start feeling those feelings of insecurity of what, you know, what, what's going to happen here? Where does this go? And yeah, so it was a very cathartic, it was an unbelievable moment. And then, uh, you had to fill out your name card in this whole thing. And I, I forgot to write my phone number. So I left the audition and I thought, well, that's too bad. I, a week went by and I, I didn't hear anything. And I knew something happened in there. And uh, so anyway, I had left my, my, my information. Three weeks has gone by now and I've heard nothing. And now at this point I let it go, but that still that sense that I did something well still remained with me. So I wasn't like disappointed or anything because I had no real expectations. Uh, then I get a phone call from Thomas Jane and he wakes, he wakes me up and he, and he says, uh, hey, hey man, where, where, uh, what are you, what, what, what the hell are you doing? What, what, what are you doing? 
I said, what, what are you talking about? He said, what do you mean, what am I talking about? He said, they're calling, they're trying to find you. You didn't put your phone number on the audition card, you idiot. He said, they have been, they've been trying to get a hold of you. The director really liked your audition and he wants to bring you in to read for, for the role, the lead role. At that time, I guess they had not officially signed Edward Norton or a name actor. So I guess that was still in play for a moment there. So it was an unbelievable moment, that phone call. And then like, I'm, I, you got to get a script. Uh, you're going in next week. You're going in. The director's in New York. He's going to come in. You're going in to read. And it was just crazy because I had never really auditioned for anything. I mean, it had to do with the movie. I just at that point just done all plays. So I didn't know what that meant. So I got, anyway, I got, I got this and I just worked on it day and night, day and night, day and night, day and night, day and night. And um, when I went in, I, I went in. Um, it, was, it was that same scene with the firemen that, uh, talking to the news reporters. And... Uh, it was an extremely, I, 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 I got there and when I went in to read, I took a breath and, and again, I, I, I was there. I was in the right, right, you know, place emotionally. And it was, uh, the audition was, uh, fantastic, went well, uh, it was, you know, I, I was very emotional and, uh, then, then. The Edward Norton subsequently signs on to the movie, but they I, they call now Tom's manager, who's not yet my manager, but who then became my manager after that audition, uh, because uh, you know success has more fathers, and failure has none, right? So when you start succeeding, suddenly you start acquiring. Here, that's another thing you must prepare yourself for to. Anyway, that's a whole nother conversation, but keep yourself, keep yourself in line here and keep yourself and your craft close to your heart and don't weigh your value upon the likes, whether others uh, approve of you must be proud of who you are and your work to survive in this business, I believe in the long term. Anyway. Moving forward. So you booked the role that's No, time? so I did the audition. Then then they said, hey, uh, Edward, sign on to the movie. Edward Norton, sign on to this movie. The I, had, I wasn't in SAG yet. I had done nothing. Nothing. No credits. Zero. So this was all, for me, uh, like a dream or something. You understand? It was like I was... I mean, even being in this process at this point, for me, was unbelievable like a dream who was coming true you know from nothing literally nothing now I can't even get on a bus on time to now I'm in a studio auditioning for a role it was overwhelmingly amazing feeling and yeah so uh, I did that and then they said they really really uh, responded she signed me as a client so she orchestrated then the next callback, which they said they're bringing you back in. So actually now I had someone to talk to about acting. It was really bizarre. I went from nothing to now I have like a manager and like, whoa, this is really weird, right? It was really weird. Um, so then I went, then I went two weeks later, I, I went to, I, to Stacy Keach's part. I had to audition. They were auditioning me for that. I walk in the room and this was definitively for my whole entire career, 
will be the defining most joyous moment that I have ever experienced in my whole artistic life was that moment when I went to the final callback to do the scene that Stacy Keach does with Edward Norton in the uh, um, at his house there after Edward Norton's come out of prison or whatever in the movie. No, so I was um, being such a intense young actor that acting was everything. I uh, was so prepared and so involved in that final callback because I knew that I was very, very close to being having my first opportunity to be a professional actor, if you will. You know, that this was an opportunity and it was close. And I had so, as an intense actor, and I was so nervous that when they called my name, I had on a trench coat, I, I was dressed like the character, I had my combat boots on, my green skinhead trench coat, you know, my wife beater, I was working out every single day, and... I couldn't handle the idea of walking in the room and talking because I knew I wasn't going to be able to do that. I wasn't going to be able to walk in there and just start chit-chatting and then get into it. I was too, too there, if you will. So what ends up happening is I storm in the room. Now, looking back in hindsight, it was a bit theatrical and I don't even know how they process it really, but I... I storm, I walk in the room and I declare, and, and I start taking off my trench coat and I look to the casting director and I said, who am I reading with? Tell me who I'm reading with. Come on, I, I want you to tell me right now who I'm reading, who, who am I reading with? And my hand is shaking a little like that. And, and she immediately gets very serious and says, you're, yeah, you're reading with him. He'll be, he'll be taping your audition. I said, okay, are you ready? You ready? Okay, you guys ready? And, and I just took over this sort of, all being driven by my terror, obviously, my, my absolute fear. But um, no, it was amazing. And, and, then, and then, yeah, and then um, they taped it. I, I put my feet up on the, on the desk and uh, began the scene. And, and then, yeah, and then it, it went really well. And when it was over, I felt like I had done what I needed to do, like whatever it happened. I trusted. I breathed and I allowed that audition to sort of flow. And I, I, uh, I flip over my, I flip my paper like that and I said, uh, that's, that's that. And they said, great job, Alex. All the, all the people, 10 people, great job, great job. I said, great, great, thank you. John Morrissey or the, one of the two producers, uh, I forgot the other one's name, how terrible of me. Um, one of those two gentlemen that produced the movie, he said, do you have a girlfriend? I said, no, no, I don't have a girlfriend. And I was still, you have to understand, with the character and just had done the audition. And he says, well, do you have any friends? And I said, yeah, yeah, I've got, I've got a lot of friends. Uh, and my friend had actually driven me to the audition so I could focus. And he said, well, he said, why don't you go? Now, you got to understand the backdrop to this. I had had five years of, it had been very difficult. So he looks, he looks at me and he says, well, why don't you go call your friends tonight because we're putting you in this movie. And if their 
is a moment in life where uh, you 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 feel some kind of unbelievable good fortune or a dream come true I guess would be the word considering the the amount of uh, uphill fight it is to become an actor right to have that moment uh, for anyone and I don't think that ever changes for any actor as long as they go I think every time you get that you got that part there is just nothing better and more gratifying than that moment and yeah it was pretty incredible